But we're gonna take a few minutes and study the scriptures together. And before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to start this morning by focusing our attention on the grace and the love of God. And before we look at the Torah passage from this week, I want to start with a passage from the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote. And he wants the Ephesians to consider the incredible mercy and love that God is showing people everywhere through Messiah, the love he's showing them as as Gentiles, and the love he has been showing the Jewish people. And Paul wants the Ephesians to ponder the reality of the kindness which has been shown to them. He wants them to think about that, and I want you to do the same thing as we're reading. So turn to Ephesians chapter two, and let's start with verse four, which speaks about the riches of God, not in material sense, but in the quality of mercy. And he says this, God being rich in mercy. Let's say that, being rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. You see the starting point, if you're trying to figure out the chicken and egg question about faith, it starts with God. It starts with God's love being poured out to us and freely shared to us and then we respond to that love. God, because of his great love with which he loved us. Now the next verse, verse five, is really not appropriate for modern Americans who want to be coddled and encouraged in the wrong ways sometimes. But Paul is is using what I would call the psychology of spiritual reality. And he knows that there's a way to build us up where we look honestly at ourselves and we look honestly at ourselves in light of what God has done and the love and the kindness and the mercy that he shows us. And then we can accurately describe ourselves. So, Verse five, when you were the best thing on earth and nobody had ever done better than you, when you had achieved righteousness yourself and done enough good deeds that you merited God's great appreciation and approval, that's not what it says. You should be following the scriptures. Be Bereans who who check the scriptures to see if what's being taught is correct. Now, this is what Paul said. And he's not being negative here, he's being accurate. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. So you might not know this, but there is a... uh, a living cadaver, there is a zombie, there is the walking dead among us, and they're sitting next to you, and you're 
one of them too. We are the dead who have been made alive. And we are dead, we were dead because of our transgressions. We're responsible for that spiritual death. We, we crossed the borders, the boundaries, we gave ourselves to things that were unpleasing to God. It's true. It's true. And when you know that, and you know the rich mercy of God and the love that he has, and that he started the redemptive process even when we didn't deserve it. Even when we were hostile to him or ignoring him, he reached out to us. When you get that in your heart and in your mind, you know what? It's, it's invigorating. I was dead, but now I'm alive. Hey, Sandy, do you remember when I was dead? Sandy, Sandy, do you remember? Hey, hey, she's, she's taking notes, yeah. <laughs> do you remember when I was dead in my transgressions? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do, too. We never want to forget that. I was dead. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Messiah. By grace you have been saved. We don't deserve it. We didn't merit his favor. We didn't do something to get on his good side. We were on his bad side, but because his love is so strong, he reached across the gulf and the chasm that separated us. And he brought us to himself. Now, we have to agree with him. We have to, in a sense, enroll. You don't get the benefits without enrolling. It's not just that he did it, we participate by choosing with our hearts to respond to his love. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him. And seated, he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Messiah Yeshua. In the ages to come, think about that. In eternity. If you think about what's inevitable, it's not the bad news that you read about, that you see on television, that you hear about. That seems to be inevitable. It's not inevitable. What is inevitable is that the purposes of God will be fulfilled and that all that God has in mind will be accomplished. And he will not give up until he accomplishes all that he sets out to do. In the ages to come, he will show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Messiah Yeshua. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. And so the, the Apostle Paul is saying, we don't merit the favor of God, and that's why he shows us favor. It's not that we do something in ourselves that causes him to look on us differently. 
It's that from the abundance of his love and his great mercy, he shows love to us and we start responding to it. But it's what he has done that really is the foundation. If you try to save yourself without him, you will fail. For by grace, by his favor, you have been saved through faith. Now this, this passage, this statement, through faith, means something. Through faith, which means through trusting God, and through faithfulness, which means to responding to God's authority with joy and obedience. So it's not just an abstract idea that we uh, acknowledge. It's not just a doctrinal concept that we say, yes, I believe that. Because remember, once uh, the scriptures tell us that, that Yeshua said even demons believe. That's not enough. And Yeshua said in the end of days when, when there's a final reckoning, he's gonna say, why did you say Lord, Lord, but you didn't do what I taught you? So it's not just an abstraction. It's, just, it's not just mental assent. It's lived out faith. If I trust God, then I show this by the life that I live. But, so that we never think that we were the hottest thing and the best thing, and that the reason God is being kind to us is because we're better than everybody else. The reason that he might choose us is because we're so good. These words are here. It's not a result of what you do so that no one may boast. No one will say, you know what? I saved myself. And God, smart God, recognized how good I was. No. But then there's more that Paul has to say so that we really do grasp the idea of what we do. We are his workmanship. He has created us, and we demonstrate, we reflect his creativity and his excellence. We are his workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua for good works. So it's not that our good works save us or qualify us or bring us merit. It's that when we humble ourselves and recognize, I am dead in my transgressions. I am. And I come to you, Lord, I turn away from all those forces that want me to live my life without regard to you, without trusting you or being faithful to you. And I need your redemption, your sacrifice that pays the price. I need that. When we have that response, God says, oh, I receive you with great mercy. I don't hold all that against you. I cover it. I wash away your sins. I take it away. Now you can serve me and do the work that I've put in your heart to do. Have you ever done something that you thought was your idea? It turned out it was God's idea. (laughs) And that he actually had like some variants that he wanted you to follow. I've, I've engaged in plans that weren't quite working out and I'd say, Lord, bless my plans. 
And he'd say, well, how about we change your plans a little bit? You started okay, but you've gotten, you've fallen in love with your plans. Let me make an adjustment. And when you make that adjustment, you realize, oh, God really was in this the whole time, but I took it myself. We are his workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, when I read this, it's a reflection, I think, of the the psychology of spiritual reality that Moses also shared in, in in his perspective on, on living with God and the people Israel, the Jewish people and God's faithfulness. And so I, I wanna think about this week's Torah portion, especially uh, Leviticus 26. Eric Painter shared with us so wonderfully at the beginning of worship about um, the blessings that come and how the rain is a blessing, physical rain is a blessing, but spiritual rain in Messiah. The, the Lord, the source of living water is, is the greatest blessing. And that the blessings are progressive and accumulative. They, they build upon each other. You get compound interest through these blessings. And that's the first part of uh, Exodus 26. The next part says, yeah, but if you reject me and you go your own way, this is what I'm gonna do. And it goes into some detail and it's very sobering. Anybody who's ever raised teenagers understands (laughs) the language here (laughs) or two-year-olds or anybody in between. And then after that, there's another passage that says, and if you persist and you keep going your own way and you disregard me, then I'm gonna deal even more strongly with you. And then there's another passage that says, and if that doesn't cause you to turn around and you keep going your own way and you keep ignoring me, I am going to increase the severity of the way that I deal with you. And some of us have had that experience. God was patient, lightning didn't strike when we sinned, and so we escalated our sinning, and then we realized, oh, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. But as you read these passages, you might come to the conclusion, oh, what's gonna be next is the Lord says, and if you persevere, in your resistance, in your defiance, in your ignoring me, I will be finished with you and that will be it. But that's not what God says. So I want you to read with me what God actually says. It's in Leviticus 26, verse 44 and verse 45. And it says, yet in spite of all that, In spite of all that they've done, that progression of disobedience, the progression of discipline and punishment, in spite of all that, I will not reject them when they are in the lands of their enemies. 
You see, that's one of the final acts of discipline is the children of Israel are ejected, exiled from the promised land and must live in the land of their enemies. And God says, I will not reject them when they are in the lands of their enemies, nor will I loathe them to the point of utterly destroying them and thus break my covenant with them because I am Adonai, the Lord, their God. You see, God is saying, you wanna know who's gonna win in the end? Me. You wanna know who's got the stronger will? I do. How many people were ever told when they were younger that they were stubborn? How many people were thinking about that last night? <laughs> and you know, stubbornness can be good. It's, it, it can be good when it's pointed in the right direction, when we're using our, our commitment to do good and to serve the Lord. That's perseverance, that's, that's real discipline. But there's another kind of sub stubbornness, which is I'm gonna do it my way anyway. Even in the face of real evidence that it's not a good idea. Cutting off our noses to spite ourselves, right, right? It's like, oh yeah, I'll show you. <laughs> And the Lord says, as stubborn as you are, as, as stiff-necked as you may be, as resistant as you may be, you're nothing compared to me. I'm strong, stronger willed than you are. And I will fulfill what I set out to do. And I will accomplish mercy and righteousness and redemption and holiness because that's my plan. That's what the Lord is saying here. And then verse 45 further reveals his motivation. Rather, for their sakes. Why will he do this? Because we can't do it ourselves. For their sakes, for your sake, for my sake, for our sake. Look at one of those people sitting next to you and say, it was for your sake that he shows faithfulness. For your sake. For my sake. Rather, for their sakes, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt with the nations watching, so that I might be their God. I am Adonai. Now there's this important little detail, with the nations watching. And that is an adumbration of what's ahead. That is an anticipation of what God is wanting to do. He has a plan to use the redemption of the Jewish people and the, the work of the Jewish people through Messiah to touch the whole world so that all the nations will see it and all the nations will respond to it, and in this way, the plan of God will be fulfilled, the purposes of God. Now, the purposes of God are to redeem individuals, yes, but also to redeem families, and even more, to redeem nations. 
in order to do something far greater to redeem the whole world. So that the, the nations of this world would not learn war anymore. They would learn how to make peace in Messiah. They would not be doing harm one to another and having enmity and hostility with each other, but they would show mercy and kindness to each other. That's a big change. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter two because I want, to, I want you to see the connection between God's faithfulness and his mercy that we read about in Leviticus uh, 26 and this passage from Ephesians 2 because I want you to understand that, that Moses and Paul saw something together. That all the apostles and all the prophets of Israel saw something together. That God's plan for the Jewish people doesn't stop with the Jewish people. And it also doesn't end with the Jewish people. It actually depends not only on the Jewish people, but on all the nations. We are dependent on each other. And so we read in Ephesians 2 that not only are we reconciled to God, we're reconciled to each other through Messiah. And this includes Jews being reconciled to Gentiles. And it includes Gentiles being reconciled to Jews. So in the kingdom of God, Jews need Gentiles, and Gentiles need Jews. Verse 11, Ephesians 2, 11. Therefore remember that in the past you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by those who are called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, you were hopeless. And you were without God in the world. This is more of that psychology of spiritual reality. Think about it clearly. You had nothing. You had no promises. Think about that but God reached out to you. But now, in Messiah Yeshua, you who in the past were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. What brought you near? It's what Messiah has done through his sacrifice. It's not what you have done, it's what he has done. You're participating in what he has done. For he himself is our shalom, who made both groups, let's say both groups, both groups into one group and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the hostility that separated us because of the differing laws and commandments that God had given the Jews and the nations. He's abolished that enmity contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two groups into one new group and thus establish peace. Who's going to do this work? It's Yeshua. It's Yeshua. It's not a political party. It's not a political movement. and that he might reconcile them both 
into one body to God through the cross. By it having put to death the enmity. You see, when Yeshua was hanging on the cross, not only was he taking the, the penalty that we deserved for our sins, but he was also doing something that changed forever the way nations and the Jews could relate to each other and could relate to God. And then Paul quotes from the prophets, and he came and he preached shalom to those who were far away and shalom to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are not undocumented immigrants. You are not people who snuck across the border to get into the kingdom of God, but you don't belong there. No, you are citizens, fellow citizens, fellow citizens with the saints. And you are of God's household. Regardless of whether you were born in a Jewish family or in any other nationality. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Do you see this great work? This anticipation that, that Moses had that there would come a time when the nations would be watching what God was doing with the Jewish people and then they would say, wow, the mercy of the one true God. We want to be with them, with him. How? And the answer is through his Messiah. How can Jews be united with God? Through a Messiah. That's right. How can Gentiles be united with God? Through a Messiah. Here's the rub. When we're united with Messiah, we have to be united with each other. <coughs> That's right. There you go. And will that happen? No way. You know human nature. You know the past. But God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Because I'm out of nine. Not because of who you are, because of who I am. But I'll do it for your sakes. And he says it depends on him because he's the one who has the power, the strength. He has the ability and he will do it. What do we do? We acknowledge where we came from. We came from death. We acknowledge what we've come into. We've come into resurrection life through him. And we acknowledge this, that he loves us with great love, with great mercy, and because of that, we can love each other. Because of him, we can love each other. That's how it works. That's the message of this week's Torah portion and the message of Ephesians as well. Let's take it to heart. Lord, thank you for your great love, for your sacrifice which redeems and ennobles us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who empowers us and lives in us and causes us to, to, to be a little temple so that we can be joined together to make a great temple in which 
you can reside, a house for God together. Lord, let our love for you grow and let our love for each other grow, we pray in the name of Yeshua. Amen. So I want to ask you to stand as we close with Aaron's blessing. If you're standing alone, just move a little bit. If you can't move, someone move to you. This is the messianic movement, you know. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you with all of his favor. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his shalom through Messiah Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Shabbat.